Welcome to the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast, your ultimate source of uncensored information on women's pelvic health. In this podcast, you will hear from health practitioners, holistic healers, nutrition experts, and fitness gurus, in addition to people who have or had suffered from chronic pelvic pain in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about pelvic floor disorders. I'm here to share with you what I've learned in my seven and counting years of personal experience with chronic pelvic pain. Approximately one-third of women suffer from pelvic pain. It's an unspoken epidemic. So many of us have it, yet no one talks about it. However, the mission of this podcast is to break the pelvic pain silence. The conversations are intimate, raw, and completely unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. With education, patience, and the proper tools and techniques, pelvic pain can be overcome. Welcome back to the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck. I'm a holistic health and wellness coach, and I've had chronic pelvic pain for many years. Pelvic pain is such a complex topic, which is really why I started this podcast. I was determined to simplify the topic and to make it one that's understandable, accessible, and interesting. And through the open conversations that we have on here, I really hope to be able to provide advice, insight, and comfort to those who do and do not suffer from pelvic pain. So today I am here with Carly Blau, Carly is a licensed sex and relationship therapist based out of New York City. I'm so excited to have you here today. I really wanted to sit down and talk to you for a while, and finally, we are here. So I can't wait to hear about the personal experience that you've had with pelvic pain and endometriosis, and I'll save the rest for you to share, but that in combination with your experience as a sex and relationship therapist, I know that you have so much knowledge to share with us today. So thank you for being so willing to talk about all of this. I really, really can't wait to hear everything that you have to say and to be able to share this with our listeners. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you so much for thinking of me and for wanting to have me on the podcast. It's an honor to be seen as someone who can contribute to this field. And and I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. So I first want you to share with everyone how you got into this field and I know that you have an amazing story which I really only know through social media Mm -hmm. which I guess is a little weird but in these days normal um so can you just explain the health challenges that you've had throughout your life and how that translated into your career Sure. So um, as a relationship and sex therapist, I'm a doctoral candidate in clinical sex therapy, um, and I have a licensed master of social work working towards my clinical degree. Um, So I, when I was, you know, I, I had a pretty, and I've been pretty open about this, but I've had a yucky relationship when I was younger, started at like 14. Um, and from 14 to, you know, 16 or so. And, um, at that time in my life, you know, most, you know, I'm now thorough, almost 30 and I look at 14 year olds and I'm like, what are they doing having sex? Like, oh my God, they're so young and little. And, and I was one of those 14 year olds. And so as someone who had sex at an early age, I kind of began, I I got it, my friend had a textbook in her parents' library and I would go and read it because I wanted to know what was going on. I was an only child. I didn't have anybody to tell me what sex was and like how to do it and what the right way to do it was and what all these things were that I was feeling and experiencing. And so um, I began to learn more and more about sex and then 
sex started to get painful for me and my periods were really painful and um it was super traumatic as a 14 year old and i went to the doctor and i told my i didn't my mom found out i had sex she was not a very happy camper and um and then i went to the doctor and they were like we'll put you on birth control it might be endometriosis but let's see how it progresses as you get older and let's see if, if birth control works so as i got older you know we've the pain continued my my periods were really really heavy um i had the worst period cramping and sex was super painful not all the time but but often um and that became you know a red flag for me and and for my doctor and mm. so they were like you know what i want you to be evaluated further for endometriosis i think that might be what's causing the pe pelvic pain and and the vaginal pain that you're experiencing especially with sex right um and so i went to see dr iris orbuck who um, is an endometriosis specialist downtown and um, she had evaluated me and was like, I'm pretty sure based on all your symptoms and how long this has been going on that this is endometriosis. And we tried to treat it with, with you know, birth control for a little while. And then, you know, the sex was still really painful. And mm -hmm. at this point, I was 17 years old and about to start college at the, like, the prime time to be engaging in, you know, sexual experiences right. and to learn about my body and what sex was and what I liked, what I didn't like, and to have sex be so painful was really traumatic. Mm -hmm. So we opted to do surgery to, and, and what many people don't know about endometriosis, which I want all of you listening to know, is that if someone tells you you have endometriosis, they may be um, suspicious of it, but based on your symptoms, like they may suspect that you have endometriosis, but there's no way to actually tell for sure if you have endometriosis without doing a surgical right. biopsy. Right. And so many people are like, oh, I have endometriosis, I have endometriosis, but they really don't know. And mm -hmm. I don't want to invalidate anybody who feels like they meet all the criteria and all the symptoms of endo, but also to be mindful that there are many different things that can cause pelvic pain and heavy periods and discomfort. And it's not to just allow anybody who thinks they understand endometriosis to diagnose you. It's really important to have that properly evaluated mm -hmm. by a doctor who really knows what they're doing. So I was diagnosed. They did the biopsy. And sure enough, it was endometriosis, came back positive. And, um, and then from there, it became where I was put on birth control pills and to treat, which they used to suppress. So... I don't know if any of you know this, but the reason why they put women who have endometriosis on birth control pills is because what it does is it suppresses your estrogen, and estrogen is the is what feeds endometriosis and continues it grow and like makes it keep growing. Mm -hmm. So by suppressing your your estrogen by putting you on a birth control pill, it can slow the growth of your endometriosis tissue and then thus slow the symptoms of it, and mm -hmm. you know like kind of not slow it down, but keep it from getting much, much worse. Uh -huh. And so they put me on birth control pills. And then sure enough, four years later, I was with my now husband. And I remember we had sex one night and I was so violently ill. Mm -hmm. Like right afterwards, I was in excruciating pain with the worst cramps. I mean, I was sick both ends. I'll say that. Let's say that's enough. Yeah. Um, and I remember he came into the bathroom because I, I have a tendency to faint from pain when I throw up. Uh -huh. And he came into the bathroom and I said, you know, if I'm not out of here in five minutes, 
make sure you come and check on me. Mm-hmm. So he came in and I'm sitting there on the toilet sick as a dog and I'm so embarrassed at this point. Here's this hot guy that I really, really like who's like holding me up by the bun on my head. <laughs> I'm going to the bathroom, throwing up in a garbage bag. It's like a hot mess. And right after that, I said to him, my endometriosis is back. And he uh-huh. was like, A, what is that? And B, what does that mean? Right. And I explained... We went to the doctor and I had him come with me to like learn all about it and understand what it was. And then the doctor gave us another thing, which was you're going to need, um, if you guys want to have children at some point in your life, you may want to start earlier than later to avoid needing IVF and other reproductive technology. And that was a huge blow. You know what I mean? Like no 24-year-old wants to hear that she's going to have trouble having children. And granted, I knew when I was diagnosed with endometriosis that might be a problem. Mm -hmm. And it led to, you know, some a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction for me because Mm -hmm. after sex, I got violently ill. So in my brain, and this is where sex therapy comes into play, is that in my brain there was a a map between like a connection between having sex and getting violently ill. So I didn't want to have sex anymore. Yeah. Because I was petrified that it was going to hurt and I was going to get that sick again. Mm -hmm. And that's no way for a 24 year old in a brand new relationship with this hot guy that she really, really, really likes and wants to be with and wants to explore that she can enjoy that. Yeah. So from there, you know, to round it all off and not take you through the whole entire history, But later on, when we did get married and did try to have children, and they took and I came off birth control pills, they also realized that I had polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, which is basically where you know it's a, it's an endocrine disorder, mm-hmm. um, and which is a hormonal disorder, mm-hmm. and it prohibited me from really being able to ovulate and from getting pregnant. So I ended up having to go through IVF also, which. You don't want to have sex also when you're shooting up three times a day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And having to do all the injections and, every, and the depositories and everything else. And it, the effects of all of these things on the pelvic floor, the medicines may not impact the pelvic floor itself. Mm-hmm. But what's really fascinating for you all to think about is how the brain reacts to all these different things. And so what it basically says is, hey, vagina, hey, vulva, like, mm-hmm. you're not going to work anymore right. because sex is so painful and these medicines make me not want to have sex and makes my vagina burn or, you know, all the different symptoms that you may have. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to have sex anymore. And mm-hmm. so all of a sudden your vagina just shuts down mm-hmm. and it doesn't want to have sex. And there goes your desire and your yeah. arousal and your libido. And so it's not totally directly connected but the intersectionality of it all is so profound mm-hmm. um that and that's something that as a sex therapist i don't think people talk about enough i don't so that's a huge I wouldn't, mouthful i don't know but i would but, imagine that it's if it's not talked about outside of sex therapy where is it being talked yeah. about absolutely yeah so that's just that's my brief history that's not so brief thank you it's fascinating because i also think that most sex therapists probably don't have the personal experience with all the issues that you have had that Mm -hmm. translated into you wanting to be a sex therapist sure yeah Um, I mean I think and to that point I think what's really fascinating is every person in the world I think does what they you know when you when you do what you love mm -hmm. you're doing it for a reason Mm -hmm. and I can't say it for all therapists but for many of the therapists and amazing therapists that I know something within them occurred yeah and 
whether they choose to share publicly or not, mm-hmm. there's a reason people become a therapist. Yeah. And for me, this was a huge point of why I decided to become someone who helps people with this this problem. Yeah. And these many problems around sex and, yeah. and the body is because there's not enough people that talk about it or give support and know what they're doing. Yeah. And I think that people need that. Super interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Um, on that note, how, well, you explained this, but you explained how the challenges that you had with your health affected your relationships and your sex life. Sure. I don't know if there's anything else that you think would be interesting to touch upon in regards to that specifically. Sure. So I think basically, you know, I, and I just shared it all in one lump sum. But I think the main thing for people to take away from it is that, you know, just because I have endometriosis and it impacted my sex, my sexual functioning mm-hmm. and made my my sex painful, there are many other things that can be causing painful sex and pelvic floor dysfunction. Yeah. It can be common you know, having common bladder infections. It can be having, um, you know, anxiety and depression, right? So, like, when you're anxious, your body tenses up all its muscles, including your vaginal muscles. Mm -hmm. And when your vaginal muscles are tightened all the time, sometimes you can get hyper pelvic floor dysfunction, where Mm -hmm. the vaginal muscles are so tight that you lose the ability to have an orgasm. Or because your body, like... The orgasm is felt for any of you who have ever had an orgasm, and we're going to talk about that later, Mm -hmm. but so many women have not had an orgasm and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like it's just, that's okay. It doesn't need to be this thing that you have to have. Mm -hmm. It can be something you work towards, right? Right. You can enjoy sex without it. Right. But I think, you know, having, if if your pelvic floor is super tight, what happens when you do have an orgasm is sometimes the muscles clench. Mm -hmm. And when the muscles clench, you feel like a jerk kind of sensation and your body twitches or moves in a weird way as a result of the pleasure and arousal that it's feeling. Mm -hmm. When someone's pelvic floor is super, super tight, there's no way for the muscle to contract any further. Yeah. And like, I want all of you right now, if you're listening, to like take your fist and Mm -hmm. to make a hole. Mm -hmm. And like, you're looking through the hole and that's your vaginal wall. Right. And so when you have an orgasm, right, if you clench your fist and make it tight and you make it really tight, you can see that there's really, like your hand can't get any tighter than what it is. So for someone who has an orgasm, right, like the vaginal muscles and the pelvic floor might tighten so the fist is essentially going from being loosened to tight and then it relaxes and and that's essentially mm-hmm. where you feel the orgasm. When someone has pelvic, hyperpelvic, hyper, hypertonic pelvic floor dysfunction, mm-hmm. the muscles are so tight already, like the fist they is can't. so tight that the muscles have nowhere to clench. Right. So you don't feel the orgasm when it's occurring. And that's how, you know, sex and pelvic floor dysfunction can become so intermingled yeah. in one another. And I think all these things are, I could talk about it for hours, but there are so many things we don't know about it that we really should. Yeah. And I know, I don't remember how I know this, but I've been following you for a while. And, and you have talked about how when you were going through the period that your endometriosis was really bad that you couldn't have sex for Mm -hmm. I think it was a year Mm -hmm. I don't I think maybe you talked about this on Instagram or somewhere so what was that like oh well it sucked um you know I it got to the point where my boyfriend now husband thought that like I didn't want to have sex with him yeah and felt rejected by me Mm -hmm. and that like he would initiate and I would turn off and I would be like no I don't want to but he knew that you 
you couldn't be like was it because it was so painful or because like your doctor told you that you couldn't no, like or? i could have had oh, you sex could, yeah 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 you it know was just painful for many women mm-hmm. right there are many women who genuinely cannot have sex like for right. someone who has vaginismus and severe vaginismus right. which is where the vaginal muscles are so tight that nothing can penetrate like it might be really difficult to have yeah. something penetrate the vaginal walls mm-hmm. for me i didn't have that for yeah. me it was it was anxiety and apprehension where yeah. i was petrified of it being painful yeah so i would again with the messages from my brain mm-hmm. it was like my brain would talk to my vagina and be like don't want that yeah like you don't want that because if you want that then you might get sick again i i have the same thing with my own issues I'm it's like scared to have sex uh-huh. yeah and it's and and part of what i do and we'll get into this but mm-hmm. like part of what i do as a sex therapist is is kind of retraining your brain right to to engage in in, in sexual activities mm-hmm. not necessarily penetrative intercourse yeah but other activities where you can enjoy yourself sexually again without constantly being afraid mm-hmm. of it hurting mm-hmm. And, you know, it was really difficult to not have sex. I mean, I'm lucky he, he respects me and cares yeah. about me the way that he does because he he hung around and, and he's still here five years later, you yeah. know, but that's why it's really important to be in a relationship, not just because of good sex. Yeah. You know, good yeah. sex is a plus and an addition. And granted, it's great. But like there's so much more to a relationship than just having a great sex life. And so it was super difficult, but I made it through and, yeah. and you know, it's, it, it's a work of, it's a work of art and a work in progress, mm-hmm. like still dealing with it, still dealing with, you know, being afraid to have sex, especially pregnant now, yeah. you know, when you feel that your bump gets bumped and <sighs> that's weird. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, not being able to do in certain positions and all these different things, right. but at the at the same time, you know, it, Sex is a journey, it, yeah. and it's ne- a never-ending journey. Your yeah. body's constantly ever-changing, and I think that people get these expectations about sex, and it's the expectations that make them dangerous, not the actual experience. I agree. How did you know that you wanted to become a sex therapist? I assume, well, you said it was because of the experiences that you've had, yep. but was it one specific moment where you kind of realized this is what you wanted to do, or was it like a trend, like, over time did did your experiences translate into this career or how did you kind of come to the place where this was what you decided to do full time sure so um my parent my dad really wanted me to be on television mm-hmm. he was like you're gonna be on tv you're gonna be a news broadcaster i was like dad do you know how much news broadcasters make <laughs> um not happening um and i'm not going to live in the middle of bumble bleep ohio yeah. to like become yeah. a news broadcaster and what the reason that that's relevant is because when I was younger and I was reading that textbook to like learn all about sex and know what was going on with my body I became fascinated by Mm -hmm. how many things like I didn't have brothers and sisters I'm an only child so everybody else was getting all their information from their older brothers or sisters and they were like you know people would make up things like what a blowjob was you know what I mean or like what fingering was and like kids were getting this information and for me I actually knew what it was and I was the one saying no actually a blowjob is not with a lollipop it's you know and it was because I was reading a textbook and then I became the girl because not only was I reading and and knowledgeable about it but that I also was unfortunately engaging in sex at such a young age I had experience both from reading and learning and also from personal experience right. that people wanted to know like what is a blowjob how do you give one or like 
what is sex does it hurt do you bleed every time like Mm -hmm. you know did you eventually stop bleeding like what are these things that people had questions about and they didn't know who else to turn to Mm -hmm. and so i i've never been someone who's quiet and I'm talkative, as you can all tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and people started coming to me. Right. And then as I got older, I wanted to be a sex therapist. And so when I started Syracuse University, my parent, I told my parents, you know, my maybe second year into school that, like, I wanted to be a sex therapist. And my parents were like, no, you're going to deal with old wrinkly balls, like <gasps> creepy people. Like, you don't want to have to deal with that. And granted, like, many people don't know what sex therapy is. Yeah. And in my parents' defense, like, you know, they were worried. Like, what yeah. does that mean? And and what would I be exposed to? And how and and how does one even become a sex therapist? And I remember the director of my program who admitted me, pulled my dad aside on graduation day and was like, "If you can, if you can send her for that master's degree, do it. Like, she, this is what she should be doing. And eventually, it may lead her to television, but let her do what she's really good at." Right. And it kind of and was passionate a, about so passionate yeah. about, and it was a huge turning point for my dad to support me because he had supported me before that. But now it was like not only was he seeing that I was passionate about this, but the people that were training me and educating me were like, "This is what this girl should be doing." And so I went on to Columbia University. I did a master's of social work there, and then I worked. I'm finishing up my three years now in private practice. I worked during my time at Columbia with students in um, suspension sites throughout New York City. I also worked for um, Bellevue Hospital in the emergency room, which was uh, to this day my favorite job I've ever had, um, helping people and everything that was sexually related, every sex case I got thrown and I took that on and loved it. Um, It was the best. And you know, I, I made it into something where my biggest piece of advice, not that you're asking for it, but you know, unsolicited advice from me to everyone listening is like, if you have a passion, find a way to make it lucrative and then follow that because you'll never work a day in your life. You'll genuinely be doing what you love every single day. And that's how I feel about what I do. So I turned that into being a sex therapist. And I was like, you know what? This could be not only something that I love doing and I can give back, but I can also make a living and support a family through doing this. And so what better to do that? And granted, I want to be clear that I was very lucky very very lucky to have the privilege and the opportunity to be given this education and there's not a day that goes by that i'm not really super grateful for that so but it just goes to show that if you can make your passion your career you will be successful absolutely regardless absolutely because people the other thing is people sense that in you do you know what i mean people who come to me know that i don't have people come to me just for a paycheck yeah not unethical sure but plenty of people do it unfortunately and a lot of businesses they go to work because it pays the bills not because they want to be there and for me like i'm not going to take a client who doesn't want to actually do the work mm-hmm. just for the paycheck because that's not me working right you know it, it's a matter of finding someone who really wants to come and dedicate themselves to doing the work in therapy yeah and 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 who really wants to make a change in their life and that to me is the gift that i get every day from work yeah Can you explain what sex therapy is? Yeah. So (laughs) sex therapy is essentially, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. um, it's so psychotherapy and talk therapy is is, is a form of talk therapy where you basically psychoanalyze kind of the patterns and your behaviors that go into your life and what make you you and how they impact your daily life and functioning. Sex therapy is where you 
with a therapist like myself can explore sexual preferences, desires, lack of desire, affairs, um, sex after baby, mm-hmm. you know, sex with chronic pelvic pain, mm-hmm. sex with chronic dysfunction of any chronic disease or chronic illness of right. any kind. Right. Um, how does that impact your sexual functioning and your sex life, your desire to have sex, your gender identity, your, um, you know, not that that impacts your gender identity, but saying that like, yeah. talk about your gender identity and how you feel and, and, and how you identify in the world and how others see you as such. Something super important for any of you who are looking for a sex therapist. Mm-hmm. You want to find someone who's gone through adequate sex therapy training. Right. So anyone and any and anyone and everyone can call themselves a sex therapist yeah. and say that they specialize in sex. For me, I'm in a doctoral program mm-hmm. and I've gotten a master's of education in sex education. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a part of doing that, you have to go through a SAR, mm-hmm. which is a sexual attitudes reassessment. And basically you're exposed to a lot of things and you have to process how you feel about all of them so that if somebody comes to me and tells me that they have a fetish for being peed on right that when they say it to me i'm not having to sit in my reaction and then answer them right. i've already processed how i feel about that and then i can actually really di- dive into what they're saying to interesting me. and so it could be anything from that to mm. you know somebody saying to me that they every time that they have sex, their vagina burns, Mm -hmm. you know? And sure, I've been through that, but that's not necessarily something I have to bring into the room. Mm -hmm. But having the knowledge and the understanding from an educational perspective of what that means allows for different type of therapy to occur. Mm -hmm. And and that's really what sex therapy is, giving someone, and and more importantly, most importantly, Mm -hmm. giving someone a safe space in a non- judged a judgmental free a judgment free zone to discuss their sexual functioning their sexual desires or lack thereof um in a safe judgment free zone where they're where they don't feel that they're going to be laughed at or ridiculed or questioned but rather they can explore it freely yeah and i think that you know unfortunately we live in a really heavily judged society where not a lot of people feel that they can do that so for me to be able to provide people with that is a gift are people coming to you based on like their own initiative or are they being referred to you from a doctor or a psychologist or i mean really how are people ending up here in your Mm -hmm. office or in any sex therapist's office Mm -hmm. so it depends Mm -hmm. any sex therapist's office um people go on zocdoc or psychology today and they'll look up sex therapy and they'll find resources um for me a lot of people have found me through instagram Mm -hmm. which is not common and it's actually kind of like shunned in the social work world of like you shouldn't be public and people shouldn't know what you like they shouldn't be able to follow you in that way but I think if you're mindful about what you're posting and you're not oversharing about your personal life, but rather like my Instagram is very empowering and I mm-hmm. try to make it where it comes from a little bit of the personal, but much more of the professional mm-hmm. um, to inspire people to find the strength within themselves. I and think so, that's amazing. Thank you. Like, Why I'm not? Like, we have that tool and that platform. Absolutely. And I think that that's the majority of the work that I actually yeah. end up doing, even in sex therapy. Yeah. It's like giving people the 
strength and support to explore themselves in a free way. Yeah. And to empower themselves without needing someone else, like a partner, mm-hmm. to empower them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they find me there. People find me, like, Googling a sex therapist in New York City. And a lot of word of mouth. Yeah. Which I'm really grateful for. People are changing their life. And people are saying, wow, I'm sensing a change in you. Or, like, you know, things are changing. And, and that's amazing. What are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm in therapy. And they, they might share my information, which... Thank you to every single person who's yeah. ever done that because it's, you know, a blessing. And um, and I have amazing reputation with doctors. Like, right. And doctors have a great reputation and, and rapport with me where we refer back and forth to each other. Mm-hmm. Not for, you know, we don't get anything out of it other than a potential new client. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certain doctors in the city that I really do believe in and, and I believe they believe in me. So I would assume that a lot of people who are in sex therapy and who you counsel have issues with chronic pain. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but I would think that people who have chronic pain and chronic pelvic pain specifically, it obviously affects their sex life Mm -hmm. and takes a toll on any relationship that they would be in. Mm -hmm. So when people come to you with chronic pain, chronic pelvic pain, whatever it is affecting their relationships and their sex, how and i know this is a broad question but how do you counsel them and what are i guess the first steps that you take with that person yeah um well it differs person to person right and it's you know so varied but i think for the most part allowing someone to safely go back in time to when they first began to experience their pelvic pain Mm -hmm. is huge Mm mm-hmm and giving someone even just the platform to be able to tell their story yeah. can make such a difference. Mm-hmm. Because so often you walk into a doctor's office and they're like, so what's the problem? Oh, my vagina hurts. Like, I have really bad pe- – like, I, I don't know. Like, my it hurts every time I have sex. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, you have chronic pelvic pain. Take X, Y, and Z, and I'll see you in six months. Like, right. I'm sorry, what? Like, right. you didn't even give me a chance to tell you how I'm feeling or, like, anything that I'm experiencing. Like, how do you know that that's what this is? Or they could just be like, oh – it's in your head or it's uh-huh. half the time people are told sex isn't painful get over it like exactly. that type of response mm-hmm. yeah to have a glass of wine and then have sex yeah. it won't be relax so more exactly anymore, right? you know take a deep breath before the penis goes in like i'm sorry what like <laughs> that's the last thing i'm doing right then and there um and well someone with pelvic pain right right um but you know giving someone just an opportunity to tell their story is half the battle yeah and then i think retraining the brain so the brain works in a really fascinating way where it develops these like you have synapses going through your brain all the Mm -hmm. time right and and they're messages that are being sent and there are also behavioral patterns that exist in your brain and so part of the work that i do is talking to someone about the steps that their brain takes to get them to like closing off their vaginal walls or or not being able to achieve an erection or you know what I mean and mm-hmm. completely shutting down as a result of their pelvic pain or their chronic illness mm-hmm. and talking about how each step then leads to you furthering your your lack of functioning yeah and the other thing to be really mindful of is that in our world we um, unfortunately talk about dysfunction all the time Mm -hmm. instead of talking about like what is functioning Mm -hmm. and so maybe the vaginal walls aren't functioning the way that you want them to function but can your mouth function yeah do you know what i mean can your hand function yeah are there ways for you to engage in sexual arousal and 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 intimacy 
an activity without you having to have vaginal penile penetrative intercourse like yeah. yes and mm-hmm. people don't think about it being allowed it's like if you can't put a penis in a vagina or you can't get fingered do you know what i mean right. or you can't have anal sex you've failed yeah it's also because when you have those negative thoughts it's that's what consumes you it's not Absolutely. the i can't do this i can't do that it's i can't i can't i can't correct and you don't think about the other things correct and that i can't i can't i can't train mm-hmm. is like you know the little engine who could yeah you're the little engine who couldn't right and that little engine who couldn't stalls stops moving and now loses all ability to continue functioning mm-hmm Instead of considering that there are many other ways that your body can function mm-hmm. and really giving someone an opportunity to explore how to put themselves there. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I think is really interesting that I talk about is that with someone who may have chronic illness and specifically chronic pelvic pain mm-hmm. is I will never tell someone to do something that they're not comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. So like if, if sex is genuinely the most painful thing in the whole entire world and, and you can't fathom the idea of doing it, I'm not going to send you home and tell you to go have sex with someone. Right. But there are ways that we can, you know, when we have darkness, um, and I mean darkness in the sense of like pain or discomfort or sadness, anxiety, whatever our darkness looks like. Mm-hmm. It's not by shying away from the darkness that we actually find light. Mm-hmm. It's by looking into it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you th- when you think about it, they say at the end of every dark tunnel is a light. Right. You have to go into the dark tunnel to find it. Mm-hmm. And so I think really looking at the depth and the deepness and the darkness of like the pelvic floor dysfunction, the chronic dysfunction, the chronic illness, the yeah. pain, the sadness around it and what comes up for someone around that, giving them a safe space to explore that can be really, really freeing to be able to find opportunities for you to beat it. Yeah. And do you have any advice on how someone with chronic pelvic pain could communicate to their partner, their husband, their boyfriend, girlfriend, Mm -hmm. that they don't feel well and they don't, they are scared or they can't have sex. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people have trouble communicating that and communication is so important because how can your partner understand what you're going through and like why these things are happening if they can't communicate it? So how would you help someone be able to communicate that better so i did my undergrad in in communications and rhetorical study and one thing that i became fascinated by um is language Mm -hmm. and education Mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is that before you try to just communicate what it is that you're experiencing think about the fact that the person you're trying to communicate with may not speak the same language as you Mm -hmm. They may not even know. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I would describe it to a patient right. is, or a client, is I would say, you speak pelvic floor dysfunction. I don't. Mm-hmm. So when you're speaking pelvic floor dysfunction, it's like I'm speaking Chinese Literally. and you're speaking English. And I'm looking at you and I'm trying and I want to understand what you're saying, but I genuinely can't yeah. because I've never learned English before yeah. and I only know Chinese. Yeah. And when you say it like that, it makes total freaking sense why I wouldn't understand yeah. English because I've never spoken English. Mm-hmm. If you've never spoken pelvic floor dysfunction, mm-hmm. how can you understand it? And how can you expect to communicate it to someone and and expect them to understand. Right. And so when I was diagnosed with my endometriosis, what I did 
is I took my boyfriend, mm-hmm. now husband, to the doctor with me and had him get educated. Yeah, that's from so smart. a medical smart. professional. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? If he still decides that he doesn't want to be with me after understanding and learning the language. Yeah. Because th- then, I, then I don't want to be with this person. Yeah. But he went and he learned the language of endo and he understands what it means and what hypertonic pelvic floor dysfunction is Mm -hmm. and what a vulva is in comparison to a vagina and how those things feel different and experience different things. And so now when I'm saying to him, you know, my vagina feels really tight and is really uncomfortable, you know, it's not like he's going to be some guy who's going to be like, oh, well, that's amazing. Let's fuck because, you know, because your vagina feels so tight. It's like, no, he actually understands now what I mean when I say that. Yeah. Because in my language of endometriosis and pelvic floor dysfunction, Mm -hmm. having a tight vagina or feeling like that Mm -hmm. isn't a good thing. Right. And so my best piece of advice to any of you listening who are going through this, who want to communicate it with a partner don't worry so much about the communication aspect. Mm-hmm. Worry about a yourself and how to self, what self care looks like and how to take care of yourself. That's one. Right. Two, get your partner educated. Yeah. And if your partner doesn't want to be educated, get out mm-hmm. of that relationship. Yeah. Because, it, it, I mean, if if they were going through something and you had no interest in in understanding it, I mean, that's cruel. Yeah. You know, you don't have to you don't have to experience it yourself. But it's just an, a matter of respect and understanding. Yeah. And so I think that it's not so much about communication and telling the person what you're going through, but rather having them get educated so that perhaps they can speak the same language. And then when you do choose to communicate your feelings, they're actually hearing you and listening to you. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just listening, they're hearing you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's really where I push people to go with that. I think that's so smart that you took him to the doctor because... Mm-hmm as knowledgeable and educated as you are i think when you're speaking from your own experience at least for me it's hard to articulate yourself sure as a doctor can explain something medical or when you're going through it and you're talking to your boyfriend you can explain it but there's some sort of like disconnect between you explaining it to your boyfriend and it's emotional and it's like confusing and are are you I feel like between them and you, it's like, how is this message being communicated properly? But if they have a medical professional sit down with them and really explain to them what is happening, Mm -hmm. they will understand. Absolutely. It's as if they were there for themselves, like, and this doctor was telling them. Obviously, a man doesn't have a vagina, but like, okay, they can, they'll get it. They know what it is. Well, and and they may, and they may not, but they'll still have a better understanding than what they would have. And the other thing is, there are many people who don't have access to a doctor yeah. who feel pelvic floor dysfunction mm-hmm. and may self-diagnose. And mm-hmm. as a researcher now, as a doctoral mm-hmm. student, you know, a lot of the work that I'm doing, I study infertility, but a lot of what I'm studying is how, you know, there's a definition of infertility in the medical world. And then there's how people are self-defining infertility and how they define it as within their own experience. Yeah. Pelvic floor dysfunction Many people experience it and have never been diagnosed. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with endometriosis and PCOS. Like, you know, yes, we want to be careful that you, you you do seek out a medical professional for a proper medical diagnosis. But at mm-hmm. the same time, there are many people who don't have access. Yeah. And for those of you who may not or who don't feel comfortable bringing your partner to a doctor or don't have a doctor to bring your partner to yet, mm-hmm. look up the resources online. Right. Because the internet is crazy. Yeah, there's there so pl- much. There's plenty of bullshit, but there's plenty of reliable stuff out there. Yeah. 
and provide that information to your partner and let them educate themselves, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just necessarily needing to go to a doctor, yeah. but to rather allow somebody to get the information that they need to make to be able to support you and to and respect you. Mm-hmm. And I know that even from my experience when I was had really bad pelvic pain and I had a, a serious boyfriend at the time, I would try and explain to him like what pelvic pain is and I sounded like a broken record mm-hmm. and he listened but he was just like and it's not him it's any most not any but most men would be like what are you saying as you just said you know it's another language so I think that that component is so important to be able to work through and work out between two partners absolutely and men experience pelvic pelvic pain yeah. also like there's the there's the judge like the the not stigma but the assumption that pelvic pain is only something that women experience yeah like men experience pelvic pain also but there's a stigma around men not being able to function below the belly button mm-hmm. and many men don't ever talk about it right and right and what it means for them to maybe not to have pelvic floor dysfunction or to have pain or all the different things that they could be experiencing. Yeah. The other thing to be mindful of as a sex therapist, I'll say, is it's not easy to be in a relationship with someone who has pelvic floor dysfunction. How, Regardless if you're male, female, or however you identify, mm-hmm. to be in a partnership with someone who has a chronic illness, yeah. chronic, chronic dysfunction, Yeah is really difficult Mm -hmm. and it requires support as well yeah and so even though you might be the person who's experiencing the dysfunction to be mindful that your partner is experiencing their own dysfunction perhaps in the relationship as a result of your physical dysfunction and what that means for the relationship and how both of you can support each other Mm -hmm. maybe in your discomfort just in different types yeah okay on another note I want to talk a minute about your social media and how you're so open about everything and your career and your endometriosis and you're recently going through IVF and how these are topics that most people are not comfortable talking about and are not open about and are embarrassed and ashamed of. And you're an example of someone who is, it seems, so able to talk about these challenging things. So what I was curious about for you, did it take you a while to get to this place? Was it a challenge for you or was it something that came natural and that you always were able to do? To be open. To be open and to share this information with the world. So it's interesting. When Mm -hmm. I was doing Honestly Naked Television, um... There were times when I spoke about my personal life, but I didn't want it to be about me. Right. And while I wanted to be relatable, I didn't want to be that I was just making these statements and providing this information based on my own sexual experiences because, like, that's just one-sided. Yeah. Um, And that doesn't mean that because I experience sex in a certain way that everyone else is going to. I've always been open. I've always been an open book. Right. Um, to an extent... I learned as I got older that there needs to be major boundaries mm-hmm. around that and, mm-hmm. and what I share and why I share it. And so, you know, if I'm going to share something with a client, my first thought that goes through my brain is, is what I'm sharing because of my process and that I want to share this to make me feel better? 
or do I think that sharing this is actually going to be in the best interest of my client mm-hmm. and help them in their process? Mm-hmm. And the only time that I will share something personally is when I feel that giving a sense of relatability and sharing it with the client may benefit their process. Um, as far as social media is concerned, I'll never forget the day that I posted on Instagram. I mean, I posted it on maybe Facebook um, that I was going through infertility. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I really made it very personal. Yeah. And I was so afraid because I dealt with a lot of mean girls in college who were not nice people, Um, whether it's jealousy, envy, you know, insecurity, whatever you want to call it. They didn't like me for being me. Mm -hmm. And that's on them. Yeah. Um, And I hope they find love for themselves someday to accept who they are. Um, But at that time, like, I, I was worried when I posted that, like, people would be talking about me and what would they say and would it impact my clientele and would clients know? And then, you know, I did a podcast with We Met at Acme mm-hmm. and I explained that I would it was in an abusive relationship and it didn't even dawn on me that, like, clients heard that. Right. And then I was worried, but at the same time, like, it's me. Yeah. And it's my story and it's what makes me me. And I'm yeah. human. Mm-hmm. And I've been alive for 29 years and a half. And, like... This is just what Your makes story. me me and my story. And, and it's worthy of being shared, as, as is yours and everybody else who has a story. And every human in this world and every animal. Because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we've all got a journey and a story. Mm-hmm. And, and what I try to explain to my clients is, and it was the hardest life lesson I've ever learned to this day, mm-hmm. that I learned from an amazing therapist, Edie Nathan, um, is that... If someone has a problem with me, that's not about me. I could not agree more. And if somebody is uncomfortable by what I say, that's not about me either. That's about them. It's their problem. And so I have it as my mantra, like, this is not about me. Mm -hmm. And by practicing that mantra on a daily basis, I've allowed myself to really explore my journey and Mm -hmm. be have gratitude for it and embrace it Yeah. Um, without oversharing, but sharing what I think is going to be beneficial to both my clients and my followers. And so I think that's really where it comes from. And that's such a amazing point because I'm also someone who can overshare to a point that's just not useful for other people. Yeah. So it's just being mindful of like, well, in your case, obviously for your clients, but in any, in my case or anyone else's case, if you're talking to a friend or a family member or anyone about something, will this benefit the conversation? Will this benefit them? Will this, is there a point to this story or am I just sharing this to talk and to hear myself talk and to make myself feel better? Exactly. Yeah. Get it off your chest so that you can feel better about whatever it is that you're going through. Yeah. But there's selfishness in that, right? Yeah. Because like, you want to feel better, not saying you, but yeah, like yeah. you mean the plural one, right. there's selfishness in someone just sharing to share because they just want to share what they're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and granted things happen where like you have a good day at work and you want to come home and share it with someone. Like, I'm not saying don't do that. Right. But like when you're contributing to a conversation and you want to share in depth things about yourself, like, are you doing it for acceptance? Are you doing it to be seen, to mm-hmm. feel heard? Mm-hmm. Or are you doing it because you really think that it's going to benefit the conversation that you're currently engaging in? And when you feel it's benefiting the conversation and that, it's helping the person or maybe not helping them, but like it's a positive addition to the conversation, Mm -hmm. then go for it. If it's something that you're just sharing to get it off your chest. The other thing that I want you to think about 
is that when I remember when I told you all about the SAR and like that sexual attitudes reassessment, Mm -hmm. part of it is being able to process. So let's say you want to share that you've, I'm going to make it up. Um, Someone wants to share with a group of friends that, um, that they had anal sex and, um, that their butt is really hurting them mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. Random. Keep it spicy. Okay. And they just wanted to share to like, because they're processing in their own minds, like I had anal sex for the first time. My butt's really bothering me. The thing to be mindful of is that the other person you're sharing with may not have ever processed feelings around anal sex. Right. They may not process like, okay, wh- like why is your butt uncomfortable? Did you use lubricants? Like they may not have the language Mm -hmm. to have that conversation with you and so you may expose yourself and have this conversation and throw this at the table not only is the person that you're having this conversation with maybe not understanding at all what you're saying or can they relate to it but it may impact them in a way where they take it and it brings up stuff for them around their own feelings what if they had anal sex once and it was really uncomfortable or super painful or like another stupid a silly example not stupid Mm -hmm. is like um, you know, people people in today's world we use like such funny vocabulary to communicate yeah. with each other, like as friends. And um, you know, sometimes people will be like, you know, there's there's this language around like um like oh, I'm so mad I wanna murder him or I'm gonna right. smack him or right. or like, you know, oh he's so cute I wanna rape him. Like, you know, like just yeah. like people say these things and there's so much tolerance around it. But like you say these things and you overshare and you might s- you know express yourself in this way not knowing if someone ever has been raped Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. or like i'm so mad you want to smack you like you don't know if someone's ever been smacked yeah and what being smacked is for them so like to be mindful when we're sharing not to go on a total tangent Mm -hmm. but i think it's really important to to say it is that whenever you are sharing something whether it's regarding your pelvic pain your relationship your friendships your life your family what are you sharing for right and are you sharing for your own benefit? And and if so, is there a chance that it could actually hurt the person you're sharing with? Yeah. And if there is, then maybe rethink sharing. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yesterday was National Orgasm Day. <laughs> Which I didn't know about until I started this podcast. And then I had Instagram posts overflowing the Instagram feed from the related accounts that I follow. And so I did a post and I put five interesting facts about the female orgasm, which I will get my phone out and read quickly. Okay. Hold on one second. So five interesting facts about the female orgasm. One, over 70% of women need direct clitoral stimulation in order to orgasm. Two, a woman's pain threshold can increase up to 107% during an orgasm. Three, having an orgasm naturally relieves stress and anxiety. Four, having an orgasm aids in deep relaxation by boosting endorphin levels and flushing cortisol out of the body. And five, the majority of women take double the amount of time to orgasm than men do. So after I was reading a little bit and and wrote that out and made that Instagram post 
and then I obviously knew I was coming here to talk to you today, I thought that it would be interesting to ask you in regards to this conversation, since this isn't applicable for all women, but for most women, I think that it maybe is harder to orgasm than men, or you could a better way to phrase that would be that the focus is less stereotypically less on the women than the than the man. So what would your thoughts be on this one? when women come to you and they're frustrated that they don't orgasm as easily as their partner or they can't orgasm or anything along those lines, what is your first like point of, of advice or insight into that? Sure. So like in lieu of National um, Orgasm Day, many women have never had an orgasm. Right. And that is okay. Mm-hmm. Like an orgasm doesn't mean you're good at sex An orgasm doesn't mean that you've achieved something, you know, like mm-hmm. men have a tendency to, you know, and I want to be careful. It's not just a man woman thing. Right. But like many men have the assumption, um, which I do a lot of psychoeducation in my practice mm-hmm. around that. Like if they're, if they don't make their woman come mm-hmm. an orgasm, mm-hmm. then like they're failing. Yeah. And, not true yeah you know it's so it can be so difficult for a woman to achieve an orgasm yeah and so something that i love using in practice is a website called omg yes Mm -hmm. so like the letters o m g as in girl Mm -hmm. uh yes dot com. if you have not checked it out check it out i've never checked it out oh my god (laughs) mind-blowing i'm gonna go on it and it today. teaches you how to masturbate uh-huh and like all the different ways that you can masturbate and it shows you through interactive videos of women masturbating and not in a pornographic way but in an educational way to teach you about the vulva mm-hmm. the different parts of the vulva how to stimulate different parts how to explore your body and what your body might need in comparison to somebody else's right and what i do a lot of conversation i have a lot of conversation around is is where we get our experience and knowledge from and a lot of it is pornography mm-hmm. and a lot of that is simulated yeah um and it's not real yeah and so people think that like by rubbing the clitoris in a certain way or licking it in a certain way that like fingering in a certain way that that's going to make someone come and mm-hmm. orgasm but that's not necessarily the case at all yeah um and so by using omg yes I have people use it with their partner where they explore different ways to masturbate and to feel themselves and to, and to even explore what positive touch and like pleasure feels Mm -hmm. like without a vibrator necessarily. And sometimes with a vibrator, right? So that you can explore all the different ways, teach your partner the language Mm -hmm. of pleasure and what is pleasurable for you. And then it gives you a virtual vagina to try it on. (laughs) <laughs> so exciting. Um, I wish I could show you right now. I'll show you before you leave. Um, but it's the coolest thing ever. And I only wish that I was one of the people who came up with it. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. But so I think one of the things that I would just say is that, like, not everybody orgasms. And that just because you don't orgasm doesn't mean you can't have a great sexual experience. Yeah. People enjoy sex all the time and all different types of sex without having orgasms. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you take that expectation off the table, you may find that you can actually have more fun and enjoy more sex than, mm-hmm. than making it just about achieving the orgasm. And mm-hmm. for people who want to achieve an orgasm at some point in your life, OMG, yes, is a great tool. Sex therapy is a great tool. And to really talk about, you know, what could be prohibiting you from being able to get there. Religious, yeah. religious pieces, you know, familial stuff, 
um, shame, all this stuff plays a big role in, in what keeps people from being able to achieve pleasure. So interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. This was amazing. Yeah. No, it was definitely so, so much fun. So interesting. We'd love to do it again. <laughs> we will. We will. I have many more questions, but we don't have time today, but we'll do another one. Absolutely. Where can people find you um, on social media or if they want to see you or? Yep. So um, to make an appointment, you can go to carlyblau.com, C-A-R-L-I as in ice mm-hmm. um, or icicle um, or iceberg. Um, <laughs> Carly, C-A-R-L-I, Blau, B as in boy, L-A-U.com. You can also find me on Instagram at sexdoccarly, so S-E-X-D-O-C, like doctor, but short, doc, mm-hmm. Carly, so sex.carly. Um, and those are really the two best ways to reach me. You can also shoot me an email at C-A-B, like a New York City cab, C-A-B therapy at gmail.com. I respond the quickest and best there. Um, and shoot me an email, send me a message, and keep in touch cool thank Thank you you so so much much. for having me this is amazing amazing thank you and don't forget to rate this episode five stars because that's what it deserves and to subscribe to this podcast and leave a comment and share it with your friends your family anyone that you think would benefit from listening to this and stay tuned for the next episode